Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Michael Abernathy in the Times News. We are getting ready to have a, a pretty frank conversation about the way rape kits are collected for use in criminal prosecutions. The language we, we will use is medical and clinical, but maybe graphic. So if you're listening to this in a place where children are around, you may want to wait. And that's just a, just a caution to you. But we, we think this information is important and people should have it. Now that that's out of the way, here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Michael Abernathy at the Times News, and I am here in the newsroom with Kate Croxton. Hello. Uh, she is, of course, our illustrious uh, crime and government reporter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel illustrious today? Today, definitely. Um, not sure if we're going to keep this in or not, but uh, we're uh, looking at a homicide in snow camp today. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on today. Yes, there is. Um, but we had to get this podcast in. Yes, um, because Kate has worked for months now, um, and I, I am her witness because I've sat over her shoulder and watched, <laughs> watched her do all kinds of work uh, on a series of stories about the process of submitting and testing rape kits right. in um, in North Carolina as a whole, but but also in Alamance County, and what what that process looks like for victims, for police, um, for uh, scientists in the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, we hope that it it sheds light on on the process right. uh, for people. Kate, why did you why did you do this story? So uh, Rich Jackson, our executive editor, he came by my desk one day and he said, "Hey, I was." you know, just read an article about rape kits and um, there's a lot of uh, untested rape kits in the United States. Um, how many are in Alamance County? I said, well, let me find out. So at first the article was going to focus on those untested rape kits. Um, but I very quickly learned that the process is a lot more difficult than it should be, in my opinion. So we kind of changed our focus from the untested rape kits to the actual process itself. Um, and and I feel like I should jump in here and interject. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, this was a big story, yes. right? Which which created this report that you used. But this was a big statewide story, I think, probably before you and Rich got here. Yes. You're both from out of state. Um, about just this uh, flood thousands and thousands of untested kits that that the SBI's crime lab, um, now just the state crime lab yes. under the DOJ, uh, hadn't gotten to for whatever reason. Right. So, um, I mean, that was one of the first pieces I found was the answer to Rich's original question, how many untested rape kits are there in Alamance County? And I think Alamance County as a whole, I think we're about 80 or so, I want to say. Yeah. Um, so it's not a terrible high amount, but the entire state as a whole, it's over 15,000 rape kits, untested rape kits. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I got that answer, I started just looking a little bit deeper into what is a rape kit? How does it, to be blunt, how does it form? You know, How do you even get a rape kit in the first place? And this is where I started to go down the whole process of what a victim has to go through in order to get the rape kit. 
and it's not a nice process. <laughs> what, what surprised you? Because there were we had a lot of discussions about this process um, right. over the last few months. Um, so what surprised you about that process? So the first thing I did um, was I met with a sexual assault nurse examiner, a SANE. And, you know, what surprised me was that um, with that interview was you know, a victim could come in and literally be there for hours before even getting the rape kit done. You have to wait in the emergency room. You have to wait till you're medically cleared by a doctor. And then you have to wait for the same to even show up because they rotate amongst the Cone Health hospitals. So if you go to one hospital and the Sane's not there, you got to wait for her to come to you. Mm-hmm. Or you have the option of going to her, but that can sometimes be an obstacle for victims. They don't they don't want to make that drive. Yeah. Um, well, are they are all our Sane nurses, Sane's um, women? Yes, um, I had asked them about that. They said that there probably are male sane out there, but mm-hmm. just not here in Alamance County. It's all women. Sure. Um, so it was already a bit of a shock that a victim had to sit there for hours and just be by themselves and dealing with them by themselves. And then they actually get to go see the nurse. But even then, that's another four, five, six hour process mm-hmm. of getting all the DNA off their body. It, it just it was a very lengthy yeah, um, and and that DNA collection process mm-hmm. is um, we, the word you use in the story is intrusive. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what that involves? So the first thing they do is they make you stand on a tarp and take all your clothes off. So you were completely naked in front of in front of someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. They take pictures of your body. Um, especially if you have any like marks or scratches on your body. And then what they do is they get a cheek swab because they need a, a, a part of your DNA to compare with when they do testing to make sure that they're not, I guess, getting your DNA mixed up with the suspect's DNA. Mm-hmm. So they have to do a cheek swab. And then it, that's when it starts to get intrusive. They have to take hair samples. They will comb your pubic hair. If you have been um, uh, anally or vaginally penetrated, they'll take samples from yeah. there. I mean, it, so, it, I mean, pretty much anywhere where DNA from the suspect could be, they're going to go there and, and get that DNA. And this is after a person has been assaulted. Yes. Sexually assaulted, violated, um, and, and, you know, are, are traumatic, yeah. um, sometimes horrifying way. And see, the same, their goal is to make it as less traumatizing as possible. So, mm-hmm. as I say in my article, if you say, I've not been you know, anally penetrated. They're not going to take a swab there because there's no point. Right. And that's just to save you from more trauma, which, right. which is very kind on their part. But yeah, they're trying to be sensitive, but then it's also unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, they're, they're being sensitive and also scientifically it's, it's unnecessary. Yeah. So anyway, hours and hours in the hospital. Yes. Um, what, what do you think the minimum time, if you happen to get into the ER, at a good time, what do you think? So, I don't know the average wait time of yeah. an ER, but I would say at least an hour or so. Um, and then, like I said, you have to be medically cleared by a doctor. So, that that just entirely depends on your injuries. If you don't have any, you're going to get in and out of there pretty quickly. Um, but if he strangled you or if he cut you or right. if you're hurt, it, they have to treat that. And then you have to be medically cleared. And then, again, it's waiting on the same nurse. That could be five minutes. Hopefully, mm-hmm. she's just upstairs getting a you know, a coffee or something, or it could be five more hours. If she's at another hospital doing another examination on a different patient, you have to wait until she's done. And then she has to get to your hospital. And then again, another four to six hours for your kit to be done. I mean, you're looking at, if you want to be brutal, 
12 hours maybe. Yeah, yeah. Throughout this process, some of the some of what you write about and talk about is these cases are different than mm-hmm. most cases, than most criminal cases, which go to the police and district attorneys, and then they just move forward with the evidence they have. Right. Um, sexual assault cases are different because the, the, the victim, the onus is on the victim. Yes. To make decisions to proceed or not. Yes, I want to submit um, evidence, have evidence collected for a rape kit. Yes, I want to pursue prosecution be interviewed by police, that kind of a thing. And see, the not the problem, but the realistic possibility is you could have a victim say, yes, I want to have the rape kit. Yes, I want to send it to testing. Yes, I want to meet with police. Yes, I want to do everything. And then all of a sudden, one day they could say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And essentially, that's it. You yeah. can't prosecute. You don't have a right. willing witness. Um, so I think that's something police have to keep in mind the entire time is right now, yes, it's compliance and mm-hmm. it is going to happen, but... For they, for all they know, the victim might just wake up one day and say, "I don't want to do this anymore." And that can even be, you know, six to eight months later when yeah. when the the testing is done. Yes, right and by the by the state lab. Yeah, which is fine. That's a victim's uh, choice. That's, Absolutely, that's uh, certainly the right that they have. Um, but it's a barrier, I guess, to more. You talk about this too, to the number of. Uh, of criminals that can be prosecuted. Right. So a rape kit cannot be tested unless the victim gives permission. Um, so you have a suspect's DNA that could just sit in this rape kit and never get tested, never get put into the DNA system, never prosecuted because his DNA was never tested. That's part of the issue with all these untested kits, right? Yes. Um, how many, I mean, this this is me speculating, <laughs> how many serial rapists do we have who, who's... Uh, evidence that would that would convict them and put them behind bars for the rest of their lives you know how many of them are out there because these kits haven't been tested right and this is kind of off you know whatever but uh, the system that the dna is uploaded into is called codis it's combined index dna system i think that's right that's Um, the fbi right yes it's the fbi database but the database is for all dna findings not Mm -hmm. just dna findings from sexual assault cases so if you have a perpetrator who let's just say raped a woman, but he's connected to maybe a homicide or a shooting or something, and they have his DNA for that. Well, now they get a hit for him raping someone. That could be another charge they can add on. Or and, and so in our state, when you're convicted of a felony, they take your DNA. That's one of the things that happens. So now you're uploaded into CODIS. So let's say you committed a sexual assault or a rape a few years ago, but you get busted popped and, and convicted on a, a, a robbery mm-hmm. or a breaking and entering. Well, now they swab you when you go into the system yeah. and you and you match up. That, that's the way they're catching a lot of these cold cases. Right, right. So. Um, and I mean, of the 15,000 untested kits, um, the Department of Justice has already started to test these untested kits and they've already got over 100 hits for DNA matches in CODIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people out there that they're, they're catching Moving, moving on past the past the process, and we can come back to it if you want to. But um, what were some of, I guess, the detours that you went? Because this was months of just sort of where will this <laughs> rabbit hole lead? Kind of right. Um, so one of the 
first things I heard was there was a possibility that the victim has to pay for the rape kit, which mm-hmm. is atrocious. No one wants yeah, to we, pay for that. We were horrified by that. Um, so I had to go down that rabbit hole, and I, and I very quickly and thankfully learned that that's not the case. Um, the victim may have to pay for their own emergency room bills, because um, as everyone knows, when you walk in the doors, you're already pretty much being charged $200. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rape kit itself and the testing, all of that is covered by the state. Okay. Um, now, it's covered by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, am I paying out of pocket and then being reimbursed? Do you know? Like you as a citizen? Yeah. If I'm if I'm a victim and I go in, um, not to my knowledge. From what I from what I gather, there is like a budget, a fund set up to yeah. pay for the testing, and then okay. that's that's okay. where that money comes from. Um, but the victim is not charged for it. They don't get a bill for it. Right. Um, there are actually a couple of services out there that actually will help the victim pay for their emergency medical bills. Right, the victims' assistance funds and compensation things like that. and yeah. fund. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're not alone. You know, there 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 are people okay. out there that want to help them, which right. is which is good. Um, but that was one rabbit hole. Um, another one I think we want to segue into was anonymous kits. For those who don't know, an anonymous kit is when a victim decides they do not want to police to know who they are so the kit is still given to the police but they can't test it because the victim hasn't given permission and they don't know who the victim is they don't know their name their age their address the details behind the case all they have is a rape kit so this the sane gives it to police says this is an anonymous kit right and it goes on a shelf yes so the kit gets sent to um, law enforcement support services which is an agency underneath the department of um public safety they have a warehouse in raleigh don't know where it is because they don't want anyone to go there and <laughs> hurt the warehouse um and the kit just gets stored on a shelf and typically um i guess i think under the law um a victim's supposed to have one year to decide okay i want to make my kit known i do want to prosecute i do want to talk to police before the kit is destroyed however LESS um has decided they're not going to destroy any kits so no kits have been destroyed in 15 years which is mm-hmm. good news um, and that also means that the victim now has right. all the There's no the statute of limitations. Yes. You, you did talk about this in, in the stories. Yes. There's no statute of limitations on these crimes. So we're, we're, hold, we're keeping this evidence just in case yes. you decide years later. Which is good. Yeah. Um, the only, I guess the only setback, though, is that, as we were saying a few minutes ago, that means a perpetrator's DNA is just right. sitting on a shelf. Yeah. Can't, can't prosecute or get a match or anything. Um, so yeah, finding out about anonymous kits was a little, a little difficult. And just what was difficult about it? Just the process of it and what it means. What? So, um, Burlington police are, is the only agency that will pick up the anonymous rape kits because the hospital is in their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So, um, I couldn't really talk to many of the other agencies about it because they just don't handle them. Um, and Burlington police said that once it gets to LESS, that, that's kind of where they lose okay. touch with it. So I had to, you know, talk to someone at LESS and figure out everything going on with them. Um, so that was kind of a little rabbit hole I, I fell down. There was also the the issue of uh, when we looked at this report, there were 18 um, cases or kits uh, from Elon University. Let me quickly add in. So, um In 2017, the Department of Justice and the Attorney General, they asked pretty much all the law enforcement agencies to tell the state crime lab how many untested kits they have. All untested kits, whether it's anonymous, unfounded, suspect admission, solved in court, other. um, And in this report, 
we saw that Elon University had 18 untested rape kits. And um, apparently, all 18 of them were declared as anonymous, which was an anomaly because no other police department had 100% of their rape kits as... Submitted as anonymous. Yes. Not to be... So not pursuing prosecution. Yes. Essentially. Um, And so we had questions about that. Yes. Um, Um, There was a concern. I'll be blunt. There was a concern that maybe they were talking students out of going to court, talking students into making it an anonymous rape kit and... Then it just gets put on the shelf, and that's it. But Um, what did we find out? So I went to Elon University, and and they very quickly assured me that the 18 is not the total. They've actually gotten a few rape kits since that 2017 report. And um, only actually four of those 18 were really anonymous. The rest, Mm -hmm. so the other 14, um, they technically were others, but they had been advised to call them anonymous. So that's why in the report it says all 18 are anonymous. Really, technically, only four are, and the and the rest are just Different. other situations. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the biggest example was the victim compliance. The victim was no longer complying. So. Okay. So the victim opted out of. Yes. Okay. Who were some of the people and parties you talked to? I know you mentioned the sane. So the very first person I talked to actually was Julie Budd with uh, Crossroads, the sexual assault center here in Burlington, um, and she was just really just to give me. S- like a head start like where do I go (laughs) Um, so from her I met with the SANE sexual assault nurse examiner then Mm. after that I met with every single police department and the sheriff's office in Alamance County so all Mm. seven of them um, and then I met with Elon University later on so technically eight Um, and then I went to the state crime lab Mm. at one point and met with um, a couple of the scientists and the manager out there I spoke with um, LESS about the anonymous rape kits, and then I um, spoke with Attorney General Josh Stein on the phone for about 15 minutes one day, too. Yeah. So a lot of people. (laughs) From a lot of different places. Yes. So in every step of this process, what do you want people to take away from this? And what what do you come away? My biggest takeaway was, again, just the process and, and the victim has to go through i mean before i thought it was just as simple as you go to the hospital get a rape kit and maybe a year or so later you go to court and that's not the case um testing alone for the kit can take sometimes a year to -hmm. get the results back um and every step along the way this the the victim pretty much either has to make a decision do i want to go forward with this or do i want to opt out in which case can't prosecute the suspect Mm -hmm. um so it's just it's a hard long process and um, I actually had a few uh, friends and family members read my articles before publishing them just, just to see what they thought. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them said, it's a lot of information. And yeah. yes, it is, but that's the point. It's it's not this easy, in a nutshell, very yeah. quick, easy process. It, it is a lot of information. It's a lot to process, and it takes a long time. And in, the, in this Me Too era, um, in this era where we're kind of coming to grips, with unreported mm-hmm. sexual assault, how did you do? You have a sense? Do you get a sense that this process? So um, Julie is a, is a barrier, I guess. Too. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll say like three things at once. And yeah. So first, uh, Julie Bud told me that um, this is according to Rain, which is uh, one of the sexual assault groups for the nation. Um, but according to them, uh, out of a thousand rapes, only four point six suspects will end up in jail. So it's mm-hmm. a very, very, very low number. 
Um, going off of that, my second point. So just the hospital portion of the article, you can see so many barriers. You've got a time mm-hmm. barrier. If you are going to get charged for, you know, being hurt, mm-hmm. that's a financial barrier. Mm-hmm. And then never mind the emotional barriers. I mean, some people flat out just they don't want to go to the hospital. Right. They don't want to report it. Right. Um, so the more time that you're, you know, left to sit there and think about it and mm-hmm. ponder on it, the higher chances are of saying, right. okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and a 12 hour window mm-hmm. uh, that you may have to carve out when you have, uh, if you have kids or family or uh, a job, job uh, other, who knows what else is going on. School, you have yeah, to right. you know, go take care of your pet. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's not just a simple, okay, let me go to the hospital. I'll be right. done in a few minutes kind of deal. Um, so there are tons of barriers that, that it could be in the way of, of the victim. But it also has to be that way, right? I mean, it to to preserve the integrity of the evidence and right. to get enough evidence to make it worth. I mean, people have to understand, like, it's not four hours of you just sitting there staring at a blank wall. I mean, the whole time the saint is taking DNA off of your body, but then she has to document it. Right. She has to say, okay, I am putting a pair of pants and here, this is what the pants look like. The pants came from the victim. I mean, she has to note every single thing that goes into the mm-hmm. rape kit. So that takes time. And she's right. doing that to make sure that all the evidence and all the pieces are there so that when it goes to testing, they can do it right. Yeah. So we're not here talking about this being a long process that could be a barrier that that is needless mm-hmm. uh, or that, you know, this is a problem and there should be a solution. Um, it's It's just... This is just an explainer. Yeah. Like, this is just the way it is, um, w- whether you realize it or not. And I mean, I can add on that, you know, waiting for the test results to come back from the rape kit. I mean, that the average time right now is about five months. Um, a couple of years ago, it was about two years. So imagine you're a victim yeah. and for five months you have no word, mm-hmm. no information. You have no idea what's going on. You're just left to sit there and think about it. Your mind's going to change 50 different times before you get those findings back yeah that's certainly certainly possible and um but you know it's the system because it's been and being addressed Mm -hmm. by the state thank goodness um it's improved you know five months is certainly better than years which is what it was and testing them is certainly better than not testing them So I guess kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about shocking revelations. Um, So one of the things I learned was that only in the last, something that'd be six months now, five months Mm -hmm. now, they, um, the state created this tracking website for the victims. It's called STEMS. I don't remember the name of it with the whole uh, unabbreviated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's (laughs) S-T-I-M-S. Yes. um, It has a really long name to it, but this allows the victim to track where the rape kit is at. So when it goes from the hospital to the police department, to the state lab for testing, back to the police department, they can track it the whole way. This only came into effect October 1st of 2018. So literally, every single victim before that system had to rely on the police department. And if you were unfortunate enough that you had a police department that didn't give you updates, then you just had nothing. Yeah. And that was it. Um, Another change I saw when I talked with the state crime lab so, um, there was a point in time where they would actually turn away rape kits for testing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times this was, if the suspect said, okay, it was, it was consensual. It's kind of hard to prove it was a rape because he's saying, yes, we had some kind of sexual encounter. You're just now trying to fight or determine was it consensual or not. Yeah. So they would typically try to turn away those cases, um, 
because they know that they're going to find the DNA there again. Yeah. They just don't know if it was a, an assault or not. Yeah. They finally started taking those cases in 2017. So up until 2017, if you're a victim saying I was sexually assaulted and your suspect saying no, it was consensual, they wouldn't test your kit. Yeah. So yes, they're they are making strides forward. Yes, they are making and changes and, and improvements. But for a long time, this the victim was kind of left with very little to work with yeah so um and, and w- didn't you say it wasn't part of that that because CODIS was so new for so long yes uh, um and- so that was the late 1990s early 2000s CODIS just did not have enough profiles in it to actually I guess be Dude. valuable yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they had to kind of wait for it to get more suspects and and I think it was um, they said the mid 2000s that's when DNA really kind of started to make a breakthrough and they were actually starting to get more perpetrators and, and profile um, perpetrator profiles and the system so they actually could make hits so they just they had to wait for it to be a little bit more yeah. powerful yeah um, I will say this so another improvement for the future um, Attorney General Josh Stein is uh, he introduced the Survivor Act mm-hmm. It's basically asking the state um, for $6 million so that they can keep on testing these un- these 15,000 untested rape kits. They've already got $3 million, about $3 million in grants um, to test those kits, so they're asking for about $6 million more. Um, the Survivor Act will also mandate that whenever a law enforcement agency gets a rape kit, they have about 45 days to send it to the state lab for testing unless it's an unfounded rape kit or anonymous rape kit. And, and an unfounded, I don't know if we explained, unfounded means that they determined that the crime didn't yes, um, occur. So I think uh, my example I gave a lot of times was like statutory rape. Let's say a mom comes home, finds out her daughter's been, you know, dating a 19-year-old or something. She calls the cops, say, oh, my daughter's been raped, and they come and investigate and they determine, well, he's actually within that three-year time frame, mm-hmm. so it's not an actual rape. Um, so they will yeah. call that an unfounded kit because he did not legally, technically yeah. rape her. So, right. It doesn't meet the legal definition of a rape. Right. So his uh, the kit will not be tested and his DNA will not go into CODIS. Right. Now I, I've gotten off track cause, just because I wanted to explain <laughs> that. What were we talking about? <laughs> uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, the Survivor Act. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all the kits will now be sent in for testing unless Mm -hmm. they are anonymous or unfounded Um, which this is to help make sure that 10 years from now the state does not have this problem of um, 15,000 untested rape kits again they they want to get it down and then keep that number down yeah and each kit um, you gave the number $700 is the cost it's about the average cost to test the kit Um, obviously if there's a lot of DNA and a lot of samples to be tested. That number is going to be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was the average number that they gave me. Okay. Um, um, and I'll say this on top of that, you know, a rape kit's not just this one little box with maybe one or two cheek swabs in it. Um, I mean, they can put clothes in there, shoes, hair ties. Um, they'll try to get as many samples as possible. So going to be graphic here um the example that the same gave me was like let's say he ejaculated on her on your back um they're going to try to get as many samples of that as possible um because they just they want to make sure that they get all the dna they can mm-hmm. so it, it's not just one little box with a couple of you know pieces of evidence in there i mean they they try to put as much as they can in there so could it be i mean 
I think of a rape kit and I think of something like a little pencil case, but it's not, but it could be a box. Well, um, the kit itself is the size of a shoe box. Okay. Um, they will have a separate container for all the clothes because that will not fit in the, right. in the rape kit. Um, the rape kit is, is mostly for all the swabs and, and hairs and things. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they could, if they want, get a really big box to put everything else in there. I, I think I had one police department tell me that they've even submitted, uh, like, bedding sheets and sure. and comforters and whatnot because mm-hmm. it had dna evidence on right. it so yeah. okay the kit can contain whatever it wants to contain um well uh thanks kate yeah, for thank explaining you. this and kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit on what the process was like um you can read kate's stories uh, over three days mm-hmm. um starting sunday uh march 31st 31st First, and right. then April first and April second. Yeah, yeah. So Sunday through Tuesday uh, at thetimesnews.com, or you can pick up a copy at a rack. Thanks everybody for listening, and thank, thank you. you, thank you, Kate. <laughs> Thanks. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of. Uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.